Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease, and I'm going to the World Parkinson Congress. Who's coming with me? Come on. Uh, We're going to go there to learn how to live a better life with Parkinson's, how to effectively treat it, and see what's being done to eradicate it. This is WPC 2019. This is the official podcast for the Fifth World Parkinson Congress. The event's being held June 4th through 7th, 2019, in Kyoto, Japan. And this podcast is created in collaboration with the World Parkinson Coalition and my other podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Each episode, I'm going to preview topics and speakers at this year's WPC, insightful interviews, provide helpful tips if you're attending, and then I'll travel halfway around the world to bring you my experiences at the World Parkinson Congress straight to your ears. This will be my first World Parkinson Congress, and I'm not really sure what to expect. But Jill Ames Carson is a veteran. The World Parkinson's Congress changed my whole life and how I live with Parkinson's. I uh, attended the 2013 Congress in Montreal, and at that point I was at my lowest um, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had been given a bus to drive in downtown London, England, and didn't have a map. And I was lost. Um, I went there, and I met a lot of people living with Parkinson's who were living well with Parkinson's. Jill was diagnosed in 2010, and this will be her third WPC. She's co-chairing the Ambassadors Program and can't say enough good things about the Congress. Get everybody... Parkinson's in the same room together, which is absolutely an amazing feeling because, you know, you're not alone and you've got information. You can go to talk to anyone. You can talk to a neuroscientist who's doing research on, say, in when we go to Japan, there'll be the neuroscientist who won a Nobel Prize Award for their stem cell research with Parkinson's, and they're already doing a, a, a clinical trial there right now. Um, and I have every intention to just be able to sit beside this person and talk to them. Uh, it's open access to everybody, and it's incredibly um, inspirational. It is truly amazing. I, I'm so yeah. looking forward to it, and there's so much information on the website, and there's so many activities and things to do. Like, what do I need to do to prepare myself? What What do I need to know as a newbie? You really don't even have to prepare yourself there because it's impossible to prepare yourself to go to it, except <laughs> have a look at the preliminary program. There's a scientific program, and there's a program for people who are living with Parkinson's, and, you know, you really... The scientific program is not easy to go in and listen to, and 
you know, that's why we have the the, the movement disorder doctors on our on our team because that's their job, right? But as a person with Parkinson's, I really would advise you to attend things that you're interested in. So if you look at the program and it says, oh, there's a something on how does exercise improve your your symptoms or what does it do and why does it do it? I'd go to something like that. Also, make sure you go to uh, one that I'm co-chairing. It's called uh, um, Fall Prevention in People Living with Parkinson's. That'll be a good one. I'll be there. <laughs> front row. Okay. Yeah, front row. See, I'll save you a seat there. there. So as we travel to Japan, you and I, on the same flight, by the way, which is ironic, Yes. Uh, I'm very lo- exciting. Lo- looking forward to that. <laughs> I apologize in advance for my son if he makes any noise. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll apologize for my husband. Too, so. <laughs> uh, are there any pro tips as a as a person who's been to two congresses so far, uh, and, and you know now you're going to your third? I was talking to one guy uh, who who was at the one in Portland. And he goes, "I found out on the last night that they had like beer at the end of the day," and I'm like, "Oh, I missed out on that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the opening ceremonies are, make sure you go to the opening ceremonies because it's really, that starts it all off and gets you into that real, whoa, this is so great, it's amazing, um, the excitement part of it. And after the, the opening ceremonies, there's a, uh, people put on little shows, like we did a choir thing from, with a group from Ireland in, um, in Montreal. We sang something inside so strong. And it, uh, it was, she had invited the people in Ireland, invited people to go to learn the song before. And it was incredible, just that feeling. But at the same time, yeah, there's people offering lovely, the food, you know, that <laughs> comes around on trades. Oh, um, yeah, appetizers and, and small bites. and That's right, and drinks, and uh, the it's in, taken place. Usually, it's, I'm not, not sure where it will be in Japan because of their rules with the the, the pharmaceuticals and pe- people who are using them. Um, but in, in Montreal, it was right where all the uh, displays were for, so it was a wide open room and it was just fabulous. Everybody, um, including the people who make our medications, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> lots of treats. And in my, treats, remind me of treats in, in, in Portland, it was incredible. One of the pharmaceuticals were giving out the Hagen Dawes ice cream bars. Oh, ice cream! How Come good on. is that? You don't want to miss that. No, for sure not. <laughs> so you mentioned yeah. the, the Nobel uh, Prize winner that's going to be there that you're looking forward to seeing. Is there anything else in Kyoto that you're really looking forward to? Yeah, you know, you know, Larry. What I'm really looking forward to is see how you know this is the first time that the Congress is going to Asia. And uh, I really want to see how other people with different cultures live with Parkinson's. Because maybe they've got it better than we do. Like, maybe they know things that we don't know, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard it, you know, I, I have done some reading, and I know that Japan's, like, really far ahead, like, with stem cell research. For and sure. what else are they doing, right? Right. So um, there's a lot of people who in Japan who live with Parkinson's, uh, which I wasn't aware of that, um, but there are a lot, and uh, I just wonder what they do. You, may, so, um, you mentioned reading, and you've been reading up. Have you been reading up on the customs or learning the language at all? Not learning the language because, you know, I have a hard time with English right now. So. <laughs> 
it's stuttering. So, um, but I have I have the little books um, from Lonely Planet, I guess it is, and I have a little one on Kyoto and Osaka, and I've been looking like that and I, looking at up at you know where you bow to people and you don't apparently chew gum and uh, you don't use your cell phone on the subways. Oh, good to know. Those are a few that, yeah. I think they're quite polite people, not like us. <laughs> Can I say that? Sure. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, also the food. I'm, you know, I like to eat. So um, I've, I've been going to a lot of Japanese restaurants, and when I'm, especially when I'm over in Vancouver, because they have some really nice restaurants. Oh, great. And uh, trying the different food just to see what there is, so I'll know what to order when I'm over there. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. Here, here's a fun question. Aside from the clothes and the toiletries that we all pack, what must-have items are you putting into your suitcase to take over there? A pen. <laughs> okay, good. Because I usually lose all my pens. <laughs> my, you, need, you need to have a, a pad of paper and a pen. And before you go, you need to look at the program. Okay? And have a look at all what's going on every day and prioritize what like say on the first day Tuesday what look at what's going on and just check off which places you want to go so because once you're there you won't be able to do that because it's just like a mass of people and you want to meet everybody and it's so um, I would uh, make sure you have a look at the program before you go and then when you're there you know as far as bringing anything, I bring Canadian things, so little Canadian flags or um, maple syrup and uh, the mounted police. They like that. Oh, okay, yeah, like the, the, the RCMP and from your country, yeah. So yeah. I, I wear uh, a Canadian uh, flag thing on, oh, so like they a little know from Canada. Yeah, a little tech. That because people always say, "So where are you from?" Right? So, oh, that's great. And you know, with the language barrier, it might be a, a little bit easier to have that on. So yeah, bring some Canadian things. It's nice to give things to other people too. So. That's a great tip. I appreciate that. I'm, now I got to go to the to the souvenir shop downtown and uh, buy a bunch of little trinkets. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yes. All right, Jillian. <laughs> well, in June, I will see you on the airplane as we go to Kyoto. <sighs> June 1st, yes. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, Larry. Dr. A. John Stossel is president of the World Parkinson Coalition Board of Directors, the head of neurology and director of the Pacific Parkinson's Research Center and the National Parkinson Foundation Center of Excellence at UBC and Vancouver Coastal Health. He's also the chair of WPC 2019. I asked him, what makes this Congress so special? In terms of the important aspects of WPC, especially for those who are not familiar with the meeting, it is quite unique because it's the only major Parkinson's meeting that brings together not only clinicians and scientists working in the area of Parkinson's, but also people who have Parkinson's, their families, their caregivers, and allied health. And so this really results in um, an unusual degree of synergy and a level of excitement that I certainly do not experience in the other many meetings that I go to. The other meetings are great uh, in terms of uh, the content, but 
this interaction between all the people who whose lives are affected one way or another by Parkinson's is truly unique. It, it is. I, as I look through the website, and I've never been, but I'm looking through the website, and it's a little overwhelming. Do you have any advice on how to make the most of it for somebody who's never been? <laughs> um, so I think there are some pointers on how to judge what sorts of things to go to. And there's also uh, pre-Congress day, uh, which has a series of courses, and um, there's at least one that is directed towards people with Parkinson's, and I think that helps introduce the meeting, it helps introduce some terminology, but it also helps get some ideas on how to navigate. And then, uh, in looking at the program, you'll see that there are markers for different type of content. So some sessions are targeted mainly towards patients or caregivers, and there are some sessions that are targeted mainly towards scientists, and there are some that are targeted somewhere in between. But it's important for the meeting that it also be a top-notch scientific meeting, and we truly believe that it is. And so there are sessions that are targeted really only towards scientists and, and would probably not be a good use of somebody's time if they don't have a scientific background. So there are sessions that are targeted towards everybody, and those importantly include the plenary sessions that are open to the entire group uh, every day of the meeting. In addition to the uh, pre-planned uh, presentations with uh, invited speakers who've been very carefully thought out well in advance. The planning meeting was over a year ago. Um, there are hot topics presented, and those are selected from the abstracts, either the regular abstract deadline or the late-breaking abstract deadline. And so these are the uh, topics that, in the view of the judges, were particularly noteworthy, and so a selection are presented uh, each morning, and that's also an exciting time to stay up to date, so it's worth getting out of bed for. Oh, good. Yeah, that sounds interesting. The other thing that's quite exciting about the meeting is um, there are poster presentations, and this is an opportunity, it's, it's actually quite magical, um, because when you see a graduate student and somebody who's living with Parkinson's, when you see them connect, it's really quite exciting, because um, the graduate student, unless they're actually working with patients, they may never have seen somebody with Parkinson's before. Wow. And uh, the flip side of it is that for the person who's living with Parkinson's to see a young trainee who's devoting the rest of their life to studying Parkinson's, that's a huge uh, source of hope. So when you actually watch the connection, it, it, it's really amazing. So this is, this is the fifth World Parkinson Congress. That's correct. Yeah. How, how did this get started? It was founded by uh, my colleague, Stan Fawn, who is a very prominent uh, movement disorders neurologist in New York. And I think at the time, I did attend the first meeting and I spoke at the first meeting, but I wasn't involved in the organization. And I think at the time, 
this was an attempt to respond to a, a U.S. government call for greater engagement of patients in uh, research and in activities surrounding their disease, which doesn't sound like uh, such a visionary perspective now, but at the time, it was actually seen as a little bit off the beaten track. The first meeting was held in 2006 in Washington, D.C., and that was actually an interesting meeting because nothing like it had ever really happened before. So there were people who were involved who were strong believers in what, what it was attempting to accomplish, and there were others who I would say had a much more skeptical perspective. And one of the challenges was that, um, as it turned out, physicians felt uncomfortable talking about certain things in a room where there were patients. Would they feel uh, free to talk about cognitive impairment? There were also some um, adv advocacy-driven issues at the time. There was a particular product in testing that got withdrawn, and there was a lot of anger over that. And so that all played out in the meeting, and it, it um, was a challenge. By the second meeting, the people who were involved realized that this can only work if everybody who's involved sees themselves as partners, as symbiotic partners, rather than holding conflicting views and trying to battle them out. So the people who made the biggest difference, I think, to the meeting were actually the patients and advocate groups who said, look, for this to work, we need to engage in respectful, bidirectional conversation. And they lived true to their word. Stan Fawn did me the honor of uh, convincing me to get involved in the organization of the Montreal meeting. And once you have drunk the Kool-Aid, there's no going back. Because once, once you realize what a magical and special meeting it is, um, you realize there's, there's nothing that really approaches it. And WPC has been recognized for its capacity to do this. Um, there are other conditions where people may try to organize meetings like this, but to my knowledge, WPC is still quite unique. And, and this year it gets even more unique as we go to Asia for the first time. That's correct, and that was a very important consideration. We are the World Parkinson's Congress and not the North American European Parkinson's Congress. And so um, we felt that despite the obvious challenges of trying to hold a meeting like this in Asia, that it was something we really needed to do. And Kyoto, I should say, is an absolutely magnificent place for those who have not been there before. It's really, a, I would have to say, a life-changing experience to, to go well, there. Well, let's talk about that because I've never been to Kyoto and I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. And everybody says the same thing, like, it's amazing. What, 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 what has been your experience there? Kyoto is known for its temples and for the many contemplative surroundings, the Philosopher's Walk, the Imperial Palace that used to be in Kyoto rather than Tokyo. So there are a lot of things to see and do. There's very interesting history, and it's just very beautiful. And um, 
it's an environment where you sit and think about things instead of whirling through the uh, hurly-burly of day-to-day life. That sounds very peaceful. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, my experience in Japan has always been, and I, I'm fortunate that I've been many times, is that uh, I've always been treated with incredible hospitality. Uh, it's uh, an incredibly well-organized country. The trains, uh, you know, run on time and you know exactly which point they're going to be at, where the doors are going to be lined up on the platform. So things like that work very well. And that's an important consideration for the meeting because the convention center is not downtown and yet public transit, um, my recollection is that it's actually quite easy and one of the memories I have from many years ago is that you would see young school children taking public transit without their parents. And um, they were perfectly safe and you knew that they would be looked after, that in the unlikely event that they needed help, that there were people nearby, adults nearby, who would look after them and make sure they didn't go astray. So, so the anxiety that I currently have about trying to maneuver the uh, system I, I can be lessened knowing that. <laughs> I think you'll find that it's it works pretty smoothly after the initial um, stress of uh, <laughs> trying to read in Japanese. <laughs> right. So the, the, it is a, a different culture. What what are some of the, the cultural nuances that you've discovered over the years or customs that we should be aware of? My exposure, although I've been many times, is obviously somewhat limited. Um, But I would say it's the um, politeness, respect, and um, this contemplative nature, which we don't see as much of that in our day-to-day environment. Uh, Now, they do have rules, and it's important to respect those as well. Uh, Just customs in terms of cleanliness, for instance, if you uh, are going into a swimming pool, you're expected to shower first, uh, stuff like that. And and so these are all with good reason, um, but it is important to observe and respect the, the rules that others have, as we would in any other consideration, I think. What else are you looking forward to this year? Uh, well, we've got a very broad program as usual. So, I, without the program open in front of me, I can't remember all the details. But I thought you were going to say the appetizers at the end of the day and the, the drinks. And- <laughs> <laughs> I will admit that I love Japanese food, <laughs> um, and they do a pretty good job of it. <laughs> um, the wrap ups, I think, are really um, useful because, again, there's a, a panel of people who do them and they bring different perspectives to the discussions and these are people who are very sophisticated from many perspectives uh the other thing are the um round tables where uh, you these are sometimes often led by people who are world leaders and it's an opportunity for patients and caregivers to come and interact with them in a very small group setting but also for trainees and I remember one year, um, my the co-chair of the steering committee is uh, also the vice president of the coalition, is Marie-Françoise Chesselet, who is a, a world-renowned neuroscientist. 
And I remember in Montreal, she led uh, one of the round tables, and there were graduate students there. <laughs> uh, most people would kill for the opportunity to spend one on <laughs> with her, and there's a bunch of students who were able to sit around the table with her. That's amazing. That, that's really magical. You, you're also hosting a workshop at the uh, WPC called Pain and Parkinson's Disease. Yeah. Uh, what can attendees expect if they attend that? So um, that will be, um, again, a, like a, a somewhat integrated uh, discussion to discuss the uh, what we think are the fundamental contributions to pain in Parkinson's because there are probably, you know, a number of brain mechanisms that contribute to pain and how we categorize pain in Parkinson's and how we treat pain. And so that's going to, again, cover a broad uh, spectrum. And yep. we've got some very good uh, speakers who are expert in the uh, topic uh, who are going to be participating. Yeah, as, a, as a guy with Parkinson's, I have pains all the time, and I never know if it's pains from Parkinson's or pains from just being older. <laughs> well, it and that's a fair point. Uh, and even if it's from the Parkinson's, there may be more than one thing contributing. For instance, you could have stiff muscles, which contributes to pain. But there may also be things happening in the brain, chemical changes that contribute uh, to the way, have an impact on the way the brain responds to pain signaling. And medications may or may not have an impact. So it's actually a really interesting area, one that's much more common than people realize. Those of us who work in the field recognize that it's a common issue. But if you look at the textbooks, it's not pain is not going to be something that's highlighted in a discussion of Parkinson's. Do you think that'll change over time? I think, you know, uh, textbooks get rewritten all the time as we understand more. <laughs> yeah. But that actually is one of the reasons that we need meetings like WPC because um, no one person or no one discipline has all the answers. So that's why it's important for healthcare providers to listen to what their patients and their family members are telling us. It gives us questions that we can try to address ourselves and it gives us questions that we can discuss with our basic science colleagues. So you really need everybody in the same tent. Indeed, indeed. Uh, listen, I, I'm so looking forward to going to Kyoto, going to WPC, seeing you uh, speak and learning more about pain. And, and uh, I hope it's a huge success for you and the whole team. I know you guys have worked really hard on it. Well, thank you very much. And it, I have to say it has been a very successful meeting. Um, the last few meetings have been very well attended and uh, um, it, full of excitement. I just the, When the Montreal meeting was on, I was floating for the entire length of the meeting. <laughs> so if anybody wants to, to find Dr. Stossel at WPC, just look up because he'll be floating at the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Each episode of WPC 2019, I'm going to provide a Kyoto life hack, a tip, cultural insight, etiquette advice, language lessons. Consider it an extra dosage travel guide to get us all better prepared for our trek in June. None of us want to offend anyone or be embarrassed. So James Heron, the executive director of the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, has agreed to join us each episode to teach us a word or a phrase and provide some insight into the culture that we can expect when we go there. James, let's start with the word or phrase of this week. Well, 
I was going to give you one that's very simple. Hello. Uh, what makes it slightly more complicated is that uh, depending on the time of the day, uh, Japanese has three different greetings. So in the morning, uh, you'd say good morning, which is Ohio gozaimasu. Ohio gozaimasu. Can you just say Ohio? You can. It's less formal, but I think it'll be appreciated. Okay, very good. And then what's midday? Uh, midday, really up until it sort of becomes evening, you can say konnichiwa. And that may be the most familiar that people have, konnichiwa. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the thing is to, to sound, it has, if you write it out, it has two ends in it. So you, you want to hear both ends. Konnichiwa. So you hold the end sound a little longer. Konnichiwa. Yep. Perfect. Very good. And then evening? The evening is konbanwa. Konbanwa. Yeah. Okay. What if you mix it up? What, what if you say Ohio in the evening? Um, I think people will probably find it amusing, but certainly not offensive. Okay. All right. And, and in, in a worst case scenario, probably uh, you can always fall back on a konnichiwa and uh, you, won't be, you won't be too far uh, wrong in, in one direction or the other. Oh, very, very good. So konnichiwa is sort of the, the – you're safe because it's midday and you don't know when it starts and you don't know, quite know when it ends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah. And then when, when you're saying Ohio or konnichiwa or kanbawa – uh, are there hand gestures that go with that? Do you bow? Do you wave? Do you what? What do you do? You know, it really, it really. Um, I would take the uh, I would take the Japanese lead. Um, you know, bowing is one of those things. It's it's very much based on circumstance. Um, but you know, when you when you just you know meet a colleague during the day, um, you wouldn't necessarily need to bow or shake hands. You just you would just say konnichiwa. When it comes to communications, um, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to address some of the stereotypes that uh, the Japanese sometimes have about North Americans. And, you know, we, we sometimes, well, the Japanese tend to be very reserved. And as a result, um, we can sometimes come across as a bit overbearing or overly aggressive, um, simply just by doing what to us seems sort of commonsensical. And one of the one of the ways we do that is in our communication styles. And to, um, to, to, to give you one example would be silence. In Japan, uh, silence is an important part of the, the sort of the communication approach. And the Japanese have a saying that says words separate and silence unifies. So there's some um, linguists have actually looked at North Americans versus Japanese and the and the amount of silence that we are comfortable with before we feel that something needs to be said. In Japan, it's over four seconds. But for North Americans, after three quarters of a second, we start to feel uh, sort of a, a sense that we need to that the communication is dying and we need to sort of say something. You know, that really comes down to sometimes I, we sometimes have to, to sort of dial things back a little bit and um, give a, a little more time to silence. Uh, sometimes, again, it's, it shows respectful listening or that you consider what's been said. Um, but also, if the Japanese person is working in their second language, it just might be necessary time for them to 
you know, make the transition to translate in their mind what's been said in English and then to, to put together a response. So if we, if we fill those silences too quickly, we sort of muddy the communication channels. Interesting. So, so North Americans are three quarters of a second. Yeah. Which is that. And, and, and the, the Japanese are four seconds, which is this. Yes. So I'm certainly not telling anyone to pull out a stopwatch or anything like that, but simply to be a little more comfortable with silence. And, and I guess to keep in mind that idea of turn taking in, in conversation, give them the time to say something back. So it might require a little more time. Thanks, James. We'll be sure to post these words, pronunciations, definitions, and cultural insights on the show notes. From Curious Cast and the World Parkinson Coalition, this is WPC 2019. Special thanks to Dr. A. John Stossel and Jill Ames Carson, who serve the Parkinson's community, and James Heron, all of whom joined us today. Visit WPC2019.org to learn about the upcoming 5th World Parkinson Congress. It's a global Parkinson's event that opens doors to all members of the Parkinson's community, including those living with the disease. Follow WPC on Twitter at WorldPDCongress. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free. Search for it, WPC 2019 or When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere you find your streaming audio, we're there. You can also listen to us at CuriousCast.ca and WPC2019.org. If you're on social media, be sure to reach out and say hi on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm at Parkinson's Pod or email parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. WPC 2019 is written and produced by me, Larry Gifford, and John O'Dowd. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designed by Rob Johnston. I look forward to seeing you in Kyoto. John A. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.